Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guide books. So let's talk about Pride Mix for a second. Yeah, let's talk about it. Pride Mix was something that we came up with in season one. Yep. We decided that for what would be our trail mix episodes, which happen every other week, for the month of June, we decided we were going to turn them into Pride Mix episodes. Yeah, I think we, you know, ultimately have a gay lilt to our podcast, or a queer lilt, I should say. It's not always ever present, but it definitely is interwoven throughout our show. And I think we really wanted to kind of honor that and really um, elevate that during June. Um, So I think that's where the idea essentially was born from. So why did we decide to do Pride Mix like this this year? And also, why did we decide to make all the episodes in June Pride Mixes this year? Um, There was a lot of discussion uh, as June kind of like barreled towards us obviously there was a lot going on future people that listen to this podcast the coronavirus was a thing that was happening at this time but obviously there were also a lot of social justice issues that had come up Uh, blm had really come to the forefront because of horrendous police brutality horrendous um, actions against people of color specifically black people So we really wanted to use Pride Mix to highlight the experiences and history of gay culture, especially as kind of like underscored and highlighted by NPS. We kind of wanted to pick up that ball and like roll with it and also just like be able to talk a little bit more about it. The other thing is that gay history is like most history, pretty white When it comes to gay history, like gay men, particularly white gay men, get a lot of the play. We felt it was really important at this time to highlight people of color who played an instrumental role in gay history. And personally, in this research, I have learned an unbelievable amount. Right. I have learned about people I have never heard of before. Right. Um, or you were able to deep dive. Really deep dive. Into people that we have heard of. Right. Yeah. And I think Like that's... I had heard of Bayard Rustin. Right. But like I learned a lot about Bayard Rustin mm-hmm. in that doing doing that Pride Mix. Yeah. 
And the same for all of the other people that we covered. Right. I'm really, really glad that the scholars that contributed to the NPS LGBTQ heritage theme study, I felt like they dug really deep to find the stories, to find the people, and to find the places of intersection. It is a giant treasure trove of history that I feel like they have only begun to uncover with this heritage theme study. Yeah, I think it was important for us to also underscore the importance of everything that was happening right now and to really take a break from our regular like episode schedule and our, our regular programming because this is important. And like you said, there are so many people that aren't as often highlighted or aren't as often brought to light, especially when it comes to queer history. It A lot of it, you know, you do see white men typically get a lot of, unfortunately, the like attention. the attention when it comes to history, like most of history in general. So I, I do think that this was, for the both of us, it was important to take the time to recognize um, what should have always been recognized, but was buried or just pushed to the side. Um, and to really be allies in that way and advocates for stories that need to be better represented and a community that needs all the allyship it can get at this moment in time. In these Pride Mix episodes, we always seek to give a clear sense of the person, their work, their contribution to queer history, and their intersection with the National Park Service, but they are by no means comprehensive. We absolutely encourage everyone to go out there and find out more. Please take these as an introduction to people who made a difference, made a difference in America and to queer history. So, Dusty, what do you know about Marsha P. Johnson? I know that Marsha P. Johnson has kind of served as like the face of the Stonewall Uprising or the Stonewall Riots. Mm. She's often credited for being the person who threw the first brick, I say in quotation marks. Um, to hear all about that, uh, go listen to our Pride Mix on Stormy de Ray, all about like Stonewall and the myths that are associated with it. But I do know that she is extremely important to trans history. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like when you when you see like people make statements like gay people would not have rights without a trans black woman. Mm -hmm. They are often referring to Marsha P. Johnson. Mm -hmm. I have to say, like, I'll be the first to admit that. And part of this is because I think I'm not knocking my history teachers in any way, shape or form, but just the way that education is and the way that history education is, um, you know, there's a lot of history that I don't know. And I love history, but I, I have to say, like, you have been such a, and not to like pump your ego here, but you've really uncovered a lot for me when it comes to queer history. So I feel like I first heard of Marsha P. Johnson from you. You've uncovered a lot for me when it comes to art history. Well, I, you know, I'll push up my nerdy, you know, spectacles over you here. Did. You did. Um, so yeah, I feel like I learned a lot from you about Marsha P. Johnson. I had seen like some sort of show where she was mentioned, um, some sort of history program, but I didn't really know all that much of her association with Stonewall. And beyond that, I couldn't tell you really much else. So that's what we're here to do today. Marsha P. Johnson, who is identified in the MPS LGBTQ Heritage Study, was an activist, sex worker, a drag performer, and for nearly three decades, a fixture of New York City's Greenwich Village. 
She was a central figure in gay liberation movement that was energized by the 1969 police raid on the Stonewall Inn. The term transgender was not in wide use in her lifetime. Uh, She used female pronouns for herself, but also referred to herself as gay, as a transvestite, or simply as a queen. She was born and named Malcolm Michaels Jr. to Malcolm Michaels Sr. and Alberta Claiborne Michaels on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which is right down the street. Mm Mm-hmm from where we are right now. Uh, She was the fifth of seven children. It was around age five when she started to dress like a girl. And um, apparently this did not jibe well with her conservative Christian father. So after graduating from Thomas Edison High School in 1963, she moved to New York's Greenwich Village. She had $15 and a bag of clothes. Homeless, she turned to sex work to survive, but soon found community in Christopher Street. So here's some context for... Uh, the laws in New York at this time. In 1950, New York State had downgraded sodomy from a felony to a misdemeanor, but certainly at this time, gays were certainly persecuted and discriminated against, and it was seen as criminal to be gay in public. So here are some things that were illegal. Same-sex dancing in public was prohibited. Also, the state liquor authority banned bars from serving gay people alcoholic beverages, reasons why they had the sip-in at Julius's. Mm -hmm. People could be charged with sexual deviancy for cross-dressing, and police enforcement was often arbitrary. After arriving in New York, Marsha P. Johnson alternated between going by her given name, Malcolm, and the name Black Marsha. She soon settled on Marsha P. Johnson, Johnson from the restaurant Howard Johnson's, where she often went, and the P stood for pay it no mind, which is what Marsha would say in response to questions about her gender. This is from the New York Times. Quote from Susan Stryker, an associate professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Arizona. Marsha P. Johnson could be perceived as the most marginalized of people, black, queer, gender nonconforming, and poor. You might expect a person in such a position to be fragile, brutalized, beaten down. Instead, Marsha had this joie de vivre, a capacity to find joy in a world of suffering. She channeled it into political action and did it with a kind of fierceness, grace, and whimsy, with a loopy, absurdist reaction to it all. End quote. We can't talk about Marsha P. Johnson without talking about her good friend and fellow activist, Silvio Rivera, who we could also do an entire Pride Mix about. They were both present at the night of the Stonewall riots. There are many stories about what Johnson and Rivera did in the early morning hours of June 28, 1969, when the Stonewall riots erupted. Almost everyone agrees that they were there. One story has Johnson throwing the first shot glass heard around the world. Another has her throwing the first brick. Stonewall historian David Carter concluded it was extremely likely that Johnson was among the first people to resist the police. But in 1987, Johnson told historian Eric Marcus that she didn't arrive until the riots had already started. In 2001, Rivera said she was at the Stonewall Inn with a boyfriend when it was raided, but that she wasn't the first to resist. In his book, Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution, David Carter says that Her acquaintance, Robert Hyde, remembers that he just, quote, 
saw her in the middle of the whole thing, screaming and yelling and throwing rocks, almost like Molly Pitcher in the, in the revolution or something, end quote. Hyde and several others were interviewed for David Carter's book, and many of them claim that Marsha was the person who, quote, really started it on that night of the riots. However, in a 2018 essay, transgender poet and activist Chrysanthemum Tran said, the particulars of who did what doesn't matter. Stonewall was a collective uprising, and Johnson and Rivera should be acknowledged not just for their actions on those few days, quote, but for their lifelong work of organizing and activism, end quote. That being said, in 1970, Johnson and Rivera founded Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, which clothed, fed, housed, and advocated for transgender youth from the tenement on the Lower East Side at 213 East 2nd Street. According to Rivera, quote, Star was for the street gay people, the street homeless people, and anybody that needed help at that time, end quote. Johnson's goal, she declared in an interview for a 1972 book, was, quote, to see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America. Gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again, end quote. Star grew out of the Gay Liberation Front, which advocated for sexual liberation and pushed to align gay rights with other social movements. The GLF sought political action and protection for citizens based on their sexual orientation or behavior against oppressive laws and unequal ethics. A 1970s newspaper titled Come Out stated, quote, Gay Liberation Front welcomes any gay person, regardless of race, sex, age, or social behavior, though some other gay organizations may be embarrassed by drags or transvestites, GLF believes that we should accept all of our brothers and sisters unconditionally, end quote. But as the gay rights movement grew, some wanted people like Johnson and Rivera pushed out. Some gay and lesbian activists took the tack that they were no different from their straight peers and thought that their argument was harder to make if Johnson showed up in plastic heels with fruit in her hair. Things came to a head at the Pride March in 1973 when Rivera said she was repeatedly blocked from speaking. When she finally took the microphone, she shouted, quote, If it wasn't for the drag queen, there would be no gay liberation movement. Where are the frontliners? End quote. She was booed off the stage. In one interview, Marsha P. Johnson said, quote, I was no one, nobody from nowheresville until I became a drag queen. End quote. I just want to insert something real quick here, which is, we mentioned this at the beginning of the Kathy Williams Pride Mix, the difference between drag queen and being trans. Just as a quick reminder, drag is a performance, trans is a gender identity. And therefore, drag is available to anyone of any gender identity whatsoever. So yes, it is absolutely possible for someone to identify as both. So in 1972, Marsha P. Johnson is sort of beginning to emerge as like the face of the Stonewall Uprising. And she started performing with this drag theater company called Hot Peaches. Many people noticed this, including Andy Warhol. He took Polaroids of Johnson and included her in Ladies and Gentlemen, a 1970 portfolio of screen prints depicting drag queens and other transgender people at the Gilded Grape, which is a nightclub. Screen printing, you know all about that, Mike. I do, because... Myself and Andy Warhol are the only two You're the other only screen printers in the world. But you have a BFA in screen printing. <laughs> and I just, no, no, you no. have a BFA printmaking. in printmaking. Yeah. No, I know that. Yeah. 
1980, Johnson was invited to ride in the lead car of New York's annual gay pride parade, and she began living at the home of a close friend and gay activist, Randy Wicker, in Hoboken, New Jersey. She cared for Wicker's lover, David Combs, before he died of AIDS in 1990. She was also an AIDS activist with ACT UP, the AIDS advocacy organization. She announced in an interview on June 26, 1992, that she had been HIV positive since 1990. Two years later, on July 6, 1994, she was found drowned in the Hudson River off of the West Village Piers. Uh, The police initially declared her death as a suicide, but many people do not believe that it is a suicide. So, uh, with enough push, they agreed to reopen the case in 2012. However, it is now 2020, and nothing has been done with the case as of yet. And she was 46 at the time of her death. We're going to end this Pride Mix with this quote from Marsha P. Johnson. As long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, there's no reason for celebration. I feel like we could put any group of people in that category. Yeah. As we record this episode on Juneteenth. We would like to encourage you to continue researching people like Marsha P. Johnson and the other people that we've mentioned here on Pride Mix. Including Bayard Rustin. Mabel Hampton. And Kathy Williams. And Stormy DeLavere. This merely scratches the surface of all of the people and events that happen to not only shape queer history in America, but shape America for all of the people who live in America. Our sources for today's Pride Mix are the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, the New York Times, blackpast.org, and ourhistory.org. And David Crane's book, Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution. This has been Pride Mix by Gays at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to pride early and pride often, and that resilience is always out there. Gays at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, visit our Instagram at gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com and visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com, and that's gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on our website and on Instagram is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. Mm-hmm.